0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Good morning, everybody. Today is Wednesday, so you know what that means, Women's Wednesday. Uh, Today we have a very special guest with us. Uh, Her name is Sarah Erzin, and she is a breast cancer survivor. She is a mother and she has a pretty remarkable story. So, um, hey, Sarah, can you hear us? I can. Can you hear me, okay? Yes, I can. Fantastic. Perfect. So, yeah, I I mean, obviously I know um a, a little bit about your story, but this is really a chance for you to to really, you know, get this out to to our many listeners who um may be experiencing um, you know, treatments right now undergoing that or um, maybe have have family members that have gone through it as well so I feel like a lot of people can can really relate to this so um, I just want to, to give you the floor and and just to really tell more about your story
2: Sure um, I I was diagnosed um, back in it was November of 2013
3: mm-hmm. or
2: sorry. Yeah, 2013. Um, My husband and I had just gotten married the year before. Um, We had found out that we were expecting a daughter. um, And I had noticed a couple months prior to that that I found a lump. And um, I brought it up a couple times. I had no family history. Um, Mm. I was only 35, so I was what was considered low risk to no risk at that time um so there were really no precautions or really acknowledgement of what was going on um up until about the sixth um obstetrician appointment where i said this is really bothering me i think we need to have a second look and it long story short came back as stage 3c um invasive ductal carcinoma which is um a cancer inside the ducts of the breast themselves, mm. and it had spread to my axillary lymph nodes. So it was very aggressive, it was very fast-moving, um, so we're lucky that we found it when we did. And I definitely think, being that I was 21 weeks pregnant when I was diagnosed, um, I still credit, credit Adeline to this day um, <laughs> for saving my life.
1: Oh that's incredible. And she's she's how old now?
2: She will be 6
1: on um, next be six. Friday. Oh my gosh. Well, happy early birthday to her. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you said that you had, had found, um, this lump. Now, was it something that, um, was kind of painful and you just kind of looked in the mirror one day and thought, oh, that, that feels funny or w- is it something that you were able to see? This was, it sounds like really a self check that you did.
2: Yeah, it was. Um, I actually, I was showering and I felt it. And kind of thought to myself, okay, well, you know, this could just be dense tissue. This mm-hmm. could just be nothing. I'll, I'll bypass it for now. And I kept feeling concerned because it wasn't going away. It was getting bigger. And then once I started experiencing, they, they say that you don't experience pain with anything that's malignant, which I don't think is true because I had... A lot of pain um, but it was growing so large that it was affecting the nerves in my chest wall.
3: Because
2: oh. um, It was for, for a breast tumor it was pretty sizable I had two of them actually um, when all was said and done and they were both over five centimeters.
1: Oh gosh that's that's a pretty good size and mm-hmm. I mean as far as like the pain goes too I, I, I can't even imagine that. Um, now let me ask you this, like, how, how did you feel? I mean, that's, that's a really broad and, and a, kind of a ridiculous question to ask, but, like, just what sort of thoughts were going through your head at that time?
2: And that's a really legitimate question because you just you don't know until you're in it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I went into fact mode. It was so weird when we first found out, of course, all this stuff always happens on a Thursday or Friday, so you get to do over the whole weekend. Mm -hmm. that's the way it always seems to go um we had the biopsy on a thursday and my husband was at a conference that friday um i had sent my oldest daughter to school and i was there with my youngest daughter and that was when i got the call with the results and i remember taking a pen and a piece of paper and i wrote down everything that the doctor told me and i said okay well what's next and he just kind of paused and he's like, "Are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yep, I'm fine. What do we do now?"
1: Like, yeah. And
2: then after I hung up the phone with him, I called my parents and as soon as I heard my dad's voice, I crumbled. It was the first time I audibly had to say it's cancer. Mm. And then everything flooded in, all the questions. What about the baby? What about me? Can mm-hmm. we wait to do treatment? Do we have to start now? What's going to happen? You know, what about the kids and that whole weekend I remember just staring at my two children and not even you know to mention the fact that I had one growing inside of me but I just kept looking at them thinking oh my god what if I don't see the other side of this Mm -hmm. what are what are they going to do how are they going to grow up it was so overwhelming just in that 48 hour period Mm -hmm. um and with anybody that has a cancer diagnosis, you get that initial shock where the rug is completely jerked from under you, but then you get the plan, you sit down, you figure out what your options are, and then you kind of go into go mode where you face it and you say, okay, there's there's no other choice. I've got this. i got to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. And now, I, I know that you had touched on um, the fact that you didn't have a history of breast cancer at all. No, um, no. Now, when you were um, going to see an OBGYN, I mean, obviously as a woman that, that you have, like, yearly appointments and stuff like that. So were you um, actively still going to appointments, or had you not been in a while?
2: N- nope. I had had... All my regular appointments, in fact, we were trying to get pregnant um, for Adeline, Mm -hmm. and so I was up to date on all of that, but because of my age and, you know, I'm hoping that it shifts for future because of the prevalence of breast cancer. I'm hoping that the diagnostic requirements change because women are younger and younger. Mm -hmm. Um, The standard sort of now is, you know, 40 and up, you get a mammogram. Well, mammograms don't even catch in time, they help, but they're not the crucial catch, so to speak. Yeah. So, I I was up to date for my age, for where I was, because according to many things, statistically, I was normal, and it was probably the furthest thing from my radar um, for that to be something, especially having zero history at all.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and and that's I mean that's scary, and the, the fact that something like a mammogram that you would think would catch something like that just doesn't. And I mean, relating back to my mom. So, um, I had actually moved down to Georgia from Michigan, um, about two years ago. And it was when I had started a new job. I was in the job for, my gosh, I think it was like three weeks. And, I got a call that my mom was diagnosed with cervical cancer and I completely lost it. I am not one to ever really get emotional or cry, especially at work, especially in front of people that, you know, I had just really started working with and it, it broke me down to a point. Oh my gosh, I'm going to try not to get emotional. Um, But finding it out, just knowing that we really don't have cancer survivors on my mom's side of the family and mm-hmm. i know that my grandma's youngest sister um, she had um, a lump that um, did become malignant and she ended up just saying you know what do a complete mastectomy get rid of all of it i don't care don't just remove the lump get rid of all of it yeah um and and she survived it but it's we carry the um the breca gene so um yes it's 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 very scary and and for me you know frequently going to the doctor and and getting these chest these um chest exams and and these tests done just because like sometimes there are no signs and and for your case i mean good thing that they're i guess it, it's bad to say but good thing that you did feel some sort of um discomfort because that's yeah. that's what really caught it and um, from the sounds of it, you caught it at, at a good time or is for, it sounds like it was it did metastasize uh, fairly fast, but um, you said at what stage that they caught it at?
2: Three it was 3c and it, the the irony, the pregnancy made it far more aggressive because it was, what's called a hormone receptor positive variant of breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So essentially, my body was producing hormones like crazy to grow a baby. And along with the baby, the cancer was growing just as quickly, if not quicker. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did find out um, eventually that I didn't have the BRCA gene exclusively. They knew that I have a variant of some kind but it's so rare that they didn't have a control to compare it to. So they've basically taken my genetic testing, filed it, and when somebody matches it, they can say, okay, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The way my oncologist explained it to me was that my, my genes are like a library and there's a book out of place in one of the shelves. They just can't figure out which one. So for it's my daughter, way to put it. you know, my daughter is 17, going to be coming up on her 17th birthday. She's getting to that point where those things are going to start being a necessity for her to get looked at as well. Mm-hmm. So I get that, that fear where, you know, you kind of have that in your, in your rear view.
1: Yeah. And it's, it just always kind of sits in the back of my mind, like, You know, I, I do frequent, um, breast exams just because I, I don't know. And it it scares me because I mean, my mom was, was fortunate enough, um, that they caught it very early on, um, Mm -hmm. that she did not have to go through radiation or chemotherapy. I, I just remember talking to her and she, she was telling me, she was like, yeah, I was in the doctor's office. And when they told me and she was just like, okay, well, um, yeah, I'm a firefighter paramedic. Um, I don't really have time for chemo right? or radiation. So, like, what else is there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's just crazy because especially with, with her line of work, like, she's incredibly active. And so it was like, yeah, I don't really have time for cancer or the treatment. So, like, what else is yeah, there? so we're
2: going to have to do something else.
1: Yeah, and, and thankfully, like, they caught it so early on. They did... Um, two different procedures so um she had worked for an OBGYN for like 10 years and mm-hmm. um back during those times what they did was they just did a complete hysterectomy they took everything out um and that's what she said she was like look like i have three kids i'm in my 40s like I- i'm i'm done just take it all yeah. out that's fine and what she had had learned is that they actually keep the uterus in now because it acts as a barrier so the cancer actually doesn't spread to the other organs.
3: So yes, they
2: actually they did that with me.
1: Oh,
3: okay, uh,
2: for two reasons. That was one, and the other was because I had just given birth, it was very vascular and dangerous for bleeding. My platelets were low due mm-hmm. to already being in treatment. Um, so they did what was called a oophorectomy, where they just took my fallopian tubes and my ovaries, so that the hormone production c- completely stopped. Mm-hmm. In fact, they put me on a oral chemo for—I uh, was on it for about four years—that um, completely shut down estrogen production altogether, so that there's nothing, um, the, hor- the, and the hormone receptors had nothing to bind to. When they can bind, then that is when they can grow. That's when the, what kind of what the cancer feeds on. Um, that's what it likes. Um, if those receptors have cells that they can bind to, then it can grow.
1: Okay. So, as far as just like reproductive organs go, they were like, we're gonna we're gonna just bite the bullet now and and make sure that this doesn't end up spreading. Then is Correct. that okay?
3: Awesome. Yeah,
2: that was because of the good the genetic um, findings as well. Mm-hmm. So they just did that right when they delivered Adeline. Oh, so gosh. I ended up, I was diagnosed at 21 weeks. Um, when we went in for our appointment, they. I asked, I said, can we just wait until she's viable? Can I try nine weeks? Um, we can deliver her and she doesn't have to go through this. Mm-hmm. And they said, no. They said, it's very aggressive. If we wait, there may not be a her and there may not be a you. Oh. So... We found something I didn't know, that at 26 weeks, um, the chemotherapy no longer crosses the placental barrier. So um, I had my port placed five weeks later, 26 weeks, um, started adriamycin and cytoxin, which is also called the red devil. It's a pretty, um, from what I understand, a, a pretty significant, significantly intense um, regimen.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so I did that. Um, that went from December to February. She was born March sixth, and then two weeks later, I started dose dense chemo again. Did that until May, Gosh. Um, and had my subsequent other surgeries after that. Then radiation, and yeah, it was a it was a pretty pretty intense year.
1: Very <laughs> intense, and and we will definitely um, come back to this. But we're going to take a quick break. Um, but everybody, stay tuned. We will be back after these short messages.
3: This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing
2: Addiction on America's Web Radio. Please join us at 4 p.m. on Tuesday afternoons.
0: Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following... or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.atlantahealingcenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Hello, everybody. Happy Wednesday and happy Women's Wednesday. So we are back with Sarah Erzin and talking more about her... Um, journey with breast cancer and, and overcoming that while being pregnant with her daughter. So, Sarah, now, as far as the, um, the treatment goes, you, you were touching on that a little bit. So, obviously, um, you went through chemo and, and you also went through radiation. So, yes. for those that don't know the difference, can you speak to that?
2: The difference between chemo and radiation? Correct. Yes. So, um, I did four rounds. There's, there's a diff, all different kinds of chemotherapy cocktails, and they're all specific to whatever your onco-type is, whatever your cancer type is, your stage, et cetera. So mine was dose-dense, um, which meant that I did kind of like a, if you picture like a can of concentrated juice, <laughs> um, instead of dumping it and mixing it, and having it gradually over time, I had the concentrated version every two weeks um, in, a, in a short set of time, kind of to throw the most aggressive thing they could at it. Um, so I had dose-dense chemotherapy, um, and I did that twice, two different kinds of drugs. Um, I don't know if one attacked one aspect and one attacked the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but after, after that, I had my surgery. And the reason they wanted to do that was what is called neoadjuvant therapy, which means they need to shrink the tumor before they can actually operate on it. Okay. So we did that, and then after that was all said and done, um, I ended up with the 35 rounds of radiation. And what the radiation does is it kind of, the way I had it best explained to me is it's kind of like if you blow a dandelion seed. And that's in your body. Um, Picture that in a chest wall. The radiation is kind of like clearing up anything that could have settled and landed Hmm. anywhere else within that affected area. So the chemo kind of is like it treats the field for the weeds and then the radiation goes in and any kind of other little seeds that could have detached and spread, that's what it tries to wipe that out. Okay.
1: Okay. That's I, I love that um, that whole dandelion aspect. That that actually really puts it into perspective. So as, as scary as that is but I mean it's, it's really attacking all of that and obviously this process took a while. You said this was 35 weeks?
2: Um, it was actually from gosh I have to remember now I went every single day for six weeks for radiation. Mm-hmm. So Chemotherapy, you do every two weeks. You go, I think I had an infusion for about seven hours each time, six or seven hours.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then the radiation, you have to go every single day at the same exact time. You go in, they actually put tiny, tiny little tattoos on the precise places where the, the, ray, the radiation has to hit you. Um, for me, it was kind of a challenge because my cancer was on my left side. So they have to make sure that they avoid any parts of, you know, where your heart is. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to also do minimal damage to your lung because, being where your breast is, your lung is obviously in the radiation field. Um, so I went every single day for um, just over a month. It was from October to the beginning of December, if I remember correctly. It might have. It, it's jumbled for me to remember, but. Um, It was in the fall, and I remember my husband was working at McLaren with your mom at the time, actually, (laughs) Um, and he was able to walk down from his department and meet me at radiation because I'd have to bring the baby. I would would take the kids to school, pack the baby up, go for radiation. He would sit in the waiting room with her, and then I would leave and go back home. It was kind of like, sort of like life went back to normal. I just had to go do this thing every day, Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah it, it was it was kind of a trip
1: yeah, i can't even imagine <laughs> um you you had mentioned tattoos so were those like permanent tattoos that you still have or yeah
2: they're, they're just like they're as tiny as like a pinhead they're just like little dots okay but it was something that they could use to align it up the same each time
1: okay gotcha
2: so and it took about i don't know 20 minutes half an hour each time
1: okay And now, just to rewind, um, were you going through treatments while you were still pregnant then?
2: Yes. Okay. Um, I started at 26 weeks and delivered her at 39 weeks. Um, Probably could have went to term, but um, it all needed to line up with how my treatment went. And she was completely healthy. She never had to go to NICU. She she was one of my biggest babies. She was over 8 pounds. (laughs) And I had no hair when I delivered her. And as soon as they pulled her out, she had the most hair of any of my kids. Wow. She had this thick head of hair. So as soon as I saw that, I remember looking at my husband and we were like, yep, it didn't touch her. She's good. She's good.
1: (laughs) And, I mean, being pregnant is one thing, but going through cancer treatments, having that at the same time, like how did, how did that work with, with the doctors? And I mean, obviously like you have your OBGYN for your baby Mm -hmm. girl, and then you have your oncologist for, for the cancer side of it. So, um, what did the relation, was there any sort of relationship, um, between those two doctors? Like, were they both at Sparrow
2: or? Yes, we actually, um, moved our treatment to Henry Ford in Detroit. Okay. So um, our, my team was all under a big umbrella. I had a neonatal specialist. Um, we, we got to see her like three times a week sometimes um, that monitored that. I had a geneticist. I had an oncologist, um, a team of two different hematologists. We had um, our breast surgeon and then of course her OB and they all communicated with one another. Oh, fantastic. Um, which was, that that was one of the biggest things we needed um, to put our minds at ease,
1: Mm
3: -hmm. but
2: they were wonderful. Um, When she, when she was delivered, there were quite a handful of people in that operating room.
1: Yeah. And I guess I'm I'm really curious, like what different obstacles and, and I mean, say, say what you, what you can, because this is, obviously kind of a touchy question, but like, were there any like scares or, or difficult obstacles that you faced being pregnant while going through these treatments?
2: You know, I, I look back on it and sometimes I wonder if I've things like from experiencing trauma. If I, I don't know if you were to ask my family members, if they would say, well, no, it was a lot scarier than that. But for me, I feel like I almost had it lucky, or I was almost lucky with it. Like the, almost like the baby. I don't. I don't want to say that she was a barrier to a lot of it, but she mm-hmm. really forced me to probably take a lot better care of myself and not push myself as hard as I would have if I weren't nurturing her to make sure she was okay. Mm-hmm. I was extremely blessed in the fact that. The only real thing I had, I never got, like, I, I never, you know, you hear the horror stories of how sick people get with chemo. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have any of those really bad physical symptoms. I didn't really throw up a lot. I I would get really bad headaches. Um, I would have contractions after, after infusions a lot of times. We would religiously watch Wheel of Fortune and time my contractions, and (laughs) I was still contracting by the time Wheel of Fortune was over. We had to go back just to have her monitored, but we never had to do that. Um, There was one day that I remember distinctly, um, and it was for an appointment that we had to go to. um, I don't remember why, but I was sitting in the OB office, and I was bald at that time. I was hugely pregnant. I was exhausted. And I just remember looking around at all the other healthy moms and knowing that was my last shot. Like, this was going to be the final time I would experience this. And I I started to go down that why me road. And then I thought about all the people that I was able to meet and connect with because of what her and I went through. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have to you get out of that mindset pretty quickly. Um, One thing that was a challenge was... Um, watching my daughter my oldest daughter um, navigate through she was in fifth grade at the time which is hard enough anyway I'm
1: still very young um, but obviously old but enough to to understand it, what was going on
2: right right and she she was very stoic about it she was a very uh, good source of of strength for me um, but knowing that she was enduring that was was pretty hard and my you know, my other daughter was only four at the time, and they say, "Oh, well, she probably doesn't remember. She's resilient," but it affected her a lot too. Mm-hmm. So, so that part was hard.
1: I I can only imagine. I mean, I this was only last year that my mom was diagnosed, so I was twenty five and knew very well (laughs) what was going on Um, my sister is is three years younger my brother is seven years younger so we all knew exactly what was going on but um definitely want to touch more on on your family and friends in that support system but we're going to take a quick break um but stay tuned everybody this is women's wednesday with taylor
0: This is Ron Camacho, host of the Business Hour on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Join me as I talk with passionate professionals on a program that profiles the best businesses, business practices, and fascinating business professionals to get an insider view of how America works. Okay, folks, let's have some fun on America's Web Radio. We love idioms, and we want yours. So send it in, go into uh, our homepage, look under the flag at the banner, and uh, click on Idioms, and send us your idiom today. Thanks. Thanks.
1: All right, everybody, we are back. My name is Taylor, and this is Women's Wednesday, all things women. So I wanted to just let everybody know that this is a new show, and I am a new host, (laughs) if you can't already tell. So um, if you have any ideas for a show or you have a pretty remarkable story, whether that's health-related, workplace, whatever, as long as it's women-related, I want to hear from you. So go ahead and send me an email. That's Taylor at AmericasWeberAdio.com. So back to, um, Miss Sarah here and we were touching on, um, how your kids were handling this. Now I'm, I'm curious, uh, to hear more about, like, family members. I mean, hearing my mom had cervical cancer, I'm her oldest daughter and I like to think that I'm her best friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, So, so me finding out, I, I had done so much research and, and knowing how to be a good support system and what everything kept saying was just be strong because she's going to need it. And so anytime I was on the phone with her or I was with her in person, it took everything in me not to just burst into tears because it's like, that's, that's my mom. And. I I frankly don't know what I would do without her. Like, people say that they're close with their mom, but I talk to mine every single day, whether that's text or social media. I I adore her so much. And so, yeah. I mean, when, when it comes to your friends and family, uh, how, did, how did they take it? I mean, you mentioned your dad, and that was really the first time that you were, like, had to say, Dad, I have cancer. Um, tell yeah. me more about that.
2: Well... I look back on it now, and they say that the patient is the warrior. They say that the patient is the one that fights the battle, and they have the strength, and it it literally really shadows the family too much. Um, The fact that I can look back and think to myself that my mom and my dad and my husband were still... Strong enough to never let on to me that they were ever really scared.
3: Mm-hmm. They were
2: so busy making sure I didn't feel fear. I had no idea how much my mom cried. I had no idea, you know, the toll that it had on my dad. I had no idea how many times my husband probably cried in the shower mm-hmm. or, you know, on his way to work while he was still providing for our family and keeping it together enough to make sure I got to where I needed to be on time and that our bills were paid and we didn't lose our house and all the, the awful things financially that can even happen to somebody through something like that. Mm-hmm. And my parents, um, that, touching back to that day that I called my dad, um, his, his, my mom and him were in Florida and they had just gotten down there. I don't think they'd even been down there three days and they used to have an RV that they would drive you know, sort of cross country to get down there. Mm -hmm. And my mom said, after I hung up the phone with them, he went out and was pulling up stakes and they were there within 24 hours. And I remember my mom and my dad both. I, I don't remember what they said specifically, but I was given that feeling like we will not leave you. We're in this. We will take care of you. You guys don't worry about anything. And they did. They came in and made a makeshift room in our basement. And I don't think they went home for six months, except wow. you know maybe to to get a few things that they needed. Um, and and James was my husband was obviously. I, I look back on it now, and I never had to question if he would be there to drive me to an infusion, an appointment, nothing, and Incredible. he juggled all of that to make sure that it happened for us. Good. So I think I think family members are are really the ones that bear the brunt of it because when you're a patient you just you go in and do what you have to do Mm -hmm. and if you have to rest you have to rest if you have to you know life doesn't stop for anybody but it really does stop for caregivers and i don't think they get enough enough credit for going through something like that
1: yeah and and as far as you know family goes and And it's what you went through is stressful. So I can imagine there were probably some times where emotions ran wild. Obviously, you were Mm -hmm. pregnant and, and going through treatments. And if you got angry, like... The, the saying is you, you take it out on those that you love the most because mm-hmm. you know that they'll always That's be there. And I yeah. am so guilty of doing that. That's why, like, with my mom and I, we have such a great relationship because she's the same way. I call it my sour patch kid syndrome. So it's like, yes. first, I'm really sour, but, like, you just got to give me time to cool down and then I'll be sweet. So
2: Yes. And then you, you're vulnerable. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and so maybe there were times where you're just like, gosh, like, my mom and dad are here. They're in the basement. Like, they're just you know all over this and that like I just I need a break I mean did you have a, a good friend support system as well
2: yes my my friends one of the things that that I can't even describe um, and I think it was because I was transparent in sharing, my story, I was transparent in what we were going through, I was eager to meet anybody and everybody or you know, that had been in the same situation as me, and because of that, I was able to make um, a few really close friends that were not only, you know, I had my, my good friends, my lifelong friends, obviously, but I also had friends that were kind of going through the same thing I was at different stages, mm-hmm. so having that was a huge support. Um, even, like I said, my, my friends that were already good friends of mine were a great support. Um, some people pull away a little bit because it freaks them out. They don't know what to say, so they don't say anything. They don't know what to do, so they don't do anything. And it can upset you a little bit, but you can't stay there because that's just their form of processing that. And that's, yeah. that's fine, too. You really do find out who your true friends are. and. I was really lucky, just, you know, especially because of my parents and my husband, like I said. Um, All, we we just, it it meshed, it went well. We were together a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I think we all kind of knew what the the could-be was. Yeah. So, that that made a difference.
1: Now, were there any certain words um, that you just did not want to hear or if any at all? And then what were certain things that you just really needed to be affirmed on?
2: So it's, it's pretty cliche and classic when, um, when you're first diagnosed and I don't know if it's people just trying to comfort you, but I don't know if they go into Google and try to figure out whatever other than chemo, especially when you're pregnant. Like so many people were horrified to think that I would actually subject my baby to that, but to that I wanted to say to them listen if I don't like either I'm gonna die or she is like we've got to do something yeah I'm trusting what these physicians are telling me um the frustrating thing for me and I see it a lot even with people that I know going through it now um people want to say well there's no cure because if there's or there's a cure but they just want to make money you need to do this you know try you know Breaking a tree branch in half and boiling it and, you know, <laughs> sipping this tea. Like, the most ridiculous things you can ever think of. And sometimes you just want to say, listen, let me trust my process. Let me trust what I am going through and being told to do. Don't tell me that, you know, there's a cure out there. They're just just—they're just trying to make money. Don't say discouraging things like that because it's almost like – or people will say – You know, I've done my research, and and I know that, you know, if if you have this or that, that the cancer won't grow in your body. But the thing of it is, and the the thing that I likened it to the most was, when you have cancer, your house is on fire, literally. And you're not going to take time to read a manual or to do all of the other things um, that could be suggested before you put that fire out you're going to get your family out and put water on it as soon as you can to try Mm -hmm. to fight that fire. You're not going to just go, well, maybe I'll just try this first. You throw everything at it so you don't lose everything. Naturally, yeah. So, you know, and unless people experience that, they really, good intentions or not, don't realize that.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like, I mean, when people would try to be the doctor, be the expert. Now, were these people... Those that you were acquaintances with, were these family members, were these friends, um, were these people that you may have met along the way in and out of doctor's offices? Or, or tell me more about a that. A little
2: bit of all of that, really. Um, and those that were close to me, they had good intentions. Um, and I think, again, that's a knee-jerk reaction of people that don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. You know, if sometimes it's okay just to say, you know what, this probably is going to suck, but I'm going to be here on your rough days. It's all right. Yeah. You don't have to, you know, you you don't have to be a hero to anybody. You don't have to find the words. Sometimes there aren't any. You know, a lot of my friends, I remember um, people just showing up to our house with meals and something as simple as like a loaf of bread and a jar of jam just to come and say, listen, I really don't have words, but here, like, Gestures. Any small tokens of comfort that are either unspoken, that don't address the disease directly, but address the person instead, that's extremely comforting.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I know my cousin um, had a blanket made, and it's funny because I have not slept without that blanket since the day I got it. Oh. Ever. It travels with me everywhere, everything. Um, and it was, it's just one of those fleece-tie blankets. Um, but her daughter at the time was in preschool. And there were like thirty kids that each prayed over this blanket, and they all used their little hands to tie the knots of this blanket.
1: That just gave me chills. It brought so, so oh my much goodness. comfort, and so
2: much <laughs> meaning. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I've never been without it. And it's little things like that. It doesn't have to be major. Sometimes just a phone call to just say you need to vent about anything. You know, do you not want to talk about cancer? Is it, How's your day going otherwise? It's, it's little things like that. Um, but mainly, don't be afraid. It's kind of, you know, it's almost like a death. If somebody dies in an uh, acquaintance's family or somebody that you know, you're uncomfortable. You don't know what to say. But try to step out of that discomfort to just be you and be who you were to them before it all happened. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because I feel like when, when certain things like this that are... Just traumatic. It people are just like, oh, you know, you're you're just the cancer becomes a part of you, and yeah, your identity almost. It's just it's just a part of you. Yeah, it's not your entire identity, and so it's like, oh yeah, you know, Sarah, Sarah, she's the one with with breast cancer, and she's pregnant. It's like no, like there's there's way more to me. And if you were to meet maybe a girlfriend for lunch that you hadn't seen in a while, and it's like, oh my gosh, like I talk about this all the time. Like, can we please talk about something else? Because there's more to you than just that. And I'm, I'm pretty curious. And because I honestly have no idea, but did the doctors give you any sort of, um, I guess percentages or like chances of like, Hey, this could happen. This could happen, especially being pregnant. I mean, when, when people would make comments about, oh, I can't believe you'd go through chemo while you're pregnant. Like, how, how dare you mm-hmm. do that? So I guess what are the risks with that?
2: Um, to her, they, it, it's, it's strange to say because we were told it was fairly minimal, that it was safe, safe. Um, And as they're telling me that, I'm going, oh, my God, in my two other pregnancies, I was scared to eat at Subway because you're not (laughs) supposed to eat lunch meat. And you're telling me I can, like, put arsenic directly into my body. Cool. Um, The statistics were fine. um, But the other thing is, too, um, there haven't been many women um, or there hadn't been many women at that point um, that had really gone through that. Um, There was just a new network starting called Hope for Two, which was um, a doctor in Texas had kind of collaborated a study on a a small, small group of women um, that had a similar prognosis, similar, you know, sort of um, situation. And so statistically, it was kind of a, well, you know, this, this is sort of what could happen, probably not, but we've got to kind of go with it and see. Mm -hmm. Um, We were told she shouldn't have any developmental delays. We were told um, that she would likely be fine. And, you know, she was. Um, But we were kind of pioneers in it at that point. It sounds so weird to say with it just being six years ago. um, But the prevalence wasn't wasn't as high so there was really nothing to compare it
1: to yeah yeah totally understand and i mean being a pioneer in it i'm sure that this that's not a very common thing to both be pregnant and going through something like that so Mm -hmm. um, but we are actually going to take our last break everybody stay tuned to hear the last bit of this segment you won't want to miss it this is taylor with women's wednesday on america's web radio
0: Hello, this is Michael Daly with Atlanta Healing Center. We know that addiction is a brain disease. Addiction is a family disease. Addiction is a treatable disease. We have a caring professional staff with over 30 years' experience to help you and your loved ones in your recovery. You can reach us at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. And listen to The Doctor's Lounge, where you get a private insight into the conversations that doctors have amongst themselves. Join us Thursday, 8 a.m. every week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: All right, everybody. We are back on Women's Wednesday and we have Sarah here talking more about her journey um through the battle with breast cancer. And Sarah, now we were we were touching on family and friends and and obviously what people want to want to hear or what I'm sorry, what you would want to hear Mm -hmm. and, and certain things that you didn't want to hear and um obviously that was really those those people that tried to be experts throughout this journey and and tell you oh this is what you should do and this is what you shouldn't do and then you know talking about the the, the scare of of being pregnant and like those statistics and being told like you know she's gonna be fine and <laughs> coming out with a full head of hair like that's that's just incredible yeah. and she's she's happy she was a happy healthy baby I mean has she experienced anything at all in, in her six years?
2: Sometimes we joke and say like she something it did something to her. She is so smart and witty and she's an old soul like she's <laughs> been here before. Oh, <laughs> um, I love but that. Nothing. I mean she's she's hit every single benchmark for growth. She's in kindergarten. Um, she I sound like I'm bragging but it's true. She has gotten 100% on all of her Assessment test. She's she's brilliant. So we joke and say, well, you know, maybe that like gave her some kind of some kind of power or something. (laughs) Um, But every benchmark that or milestone that we meet, um, she's actually student of the month at her school. She's having a little ceremony tomorrow. Um, So when little things like that happen, James and I both get choked up because. Oh, there was a time when, you know, we weren't sure, and she meant the world for, to us. We tried for her. We prayed for her. Um, so for the, these things to continue to happen, for her and I, you know, to both beat the odds, um, when, when we were first given all of this, it was odds of about 30%, um, about 70% chance that it would um, recur, that it could spread so you know that was without throwing treatment at it and everything else and you said that um, was
1: 70% but
2: every little thing that Ugh. we hit is just it's it's special
1: that's yeah i i can imagine i mean that's she's she's a miracle baby and yeah she is and you 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 have two other daughters then correct yes. okay so I mean, they're, they're just like, you know, I can just imagine them looking at your belly and, and seeing like, you know, the, the hair loss. I, and it's touching on just the hair loss thing. Like my mom had asked me and she was like, I know how much you love your hair, but if I do have to go through this, would you shave your head? And I was like, um, that's a really <laughs> tough question, mom. I'm like, I mean, I probably would, but I would get away. <laughs> and it's right, just, right. It, it's scary. So how, how did the girls react to, to seeing that, that massive change?
2: Um, it, it's funny because my girls are from my first marriage. So they were, um, at their dad's house for Christmas Eve. And being that I started chemo in the beginning of December, Um, my hair really started falling out toward the end of December. And so, um, on Christmas Eve, um, once I had had it, you know, once your hair starts falling out from chemo, you start losing it on chunks in in chunks on your pillow, in the shower, you're eating. And then all of a sudden you're like picking your hair out of your mouth and you try to hang on and think you're one of those people that maybe won't lose it. And then you just go, you know what? No, we're done. Mm -hmm. Um, so on Christmas Eve, my dad, my dad was a barber in the Navy, and he brought his clippers down, and he's like, is it time? And I said, yep, let's do it. And um, he shaved my head, and I, there were no tears. I, I, it's not for me. I know it was harder on my parents and my husband than it was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt super empowered because I thought, you know what? You can try. But, like, not today, Satan. Like, you're not taking it today. Like, (laughs) I can rock a bald head. I've got with gloss and mascara, so that's good. Um, (laughs) But when my kids got home, um, I I believe they got home about four days later. And when I answered the door, um, I remember Katie just being like, yep, you know what? It's fine. And Katie's Katie's your oldest? Katie was younger, so she was kind of, like, standoffish. But she was fine eventually, too. And I got a really good wig um, once I did that. I didn't really care too much for myself personally. Um, but when you're pregnant and you have this big belly and you're bald, you either get like the sad puppy looks from people or people just look at you like they're completely flabbergasted. They Like they have no idea. Yeah. Uh, so for me it was just easier to save explanation and look as normal as possible. But when I was at home, I never wore it. Or like if I went up to school. I wasn't going to go up to school, you know, without it. Because I didn't want to draw any attention. Yeah. Um, but once I had the baby, like, I didn't hardly wear the wig at all. I was just like, yeah, I don't care.
1: Oh, gosh. And, yeah, I can imagine people giving that sad puppy dog look. Because they do.
2: Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah.
1: And, and they don't know what to say and... It, but yeah. it, it's written all over their face. You already know. And you just probably look at them and smile and just kind of nod yep. your head like, yup. And you know what? I am positive and I'm going to beat this. And yep. that that was really what my mom kept saying, too, was like, I'm going to beat this. Like, yep. this is not going to take me. And, oh, my gosh, I'm trying not to get choked up. Um, yeah. I I know it's, it's scary. And, and to really just stay so positive, like that was the biggest thing. And just putting it out in the universe that you're going to beat this mom. Like you've got this, you are going to beat this and it's going to be okay. And that was so hard, like not knowing for sure. But I'm like, you know what? I have to, this is, this is something I have to do. Um, Now, Talking about, obviously, there's so many different organizations and programs. Now, did you join any support groups during or or even after? Are you a part of any right now?
2: Um, I had a really great group that I found um, called, it was a Facebook group called Kick-Ass Cancer Mom, and it was at that time a group of about, I don't even know if we were at 30, um, of moms that were pregnant with cancer. Um, and so that was a great support system to be able to, because you have nobody to identify with. I mean, people try to say, oh, well, my aunt had breast cancer. But, you know, you can't, you can't really identify with a woman in her 50s who has grandkids going through it. When you're raising little kids, growing a kid, <laughs> being very, young. And very, very different perspectives. And, you know, you can't, you can't just not be the mom anymore. You still have to do the PTO stuff. You still have to take kids to school still have to get kids to dance, like going through all of it. And so having moms that have those same struggles and the same pressures they put on themselves was very helpful. Um, so that was great. And ironically, I think that group has over 300 women in it now. Wow. Um, because it's gotten so prevalent. Um, but as far as organizations go, I really started to become a part of organizations after um one of the things that did happen for us, um, the Detroit Lions um, partnered with my health team, and Matt Stafford and his wife, Kelly, um, actually threw us, like, a, a luncheon and gave us, gave my kids all kinds of stuff for Christmas. Wow. Like, really, really, like, blessed our family, which which was awesome. Um, but after, um, it was the year before last, I did work with the Pink Fund. Um, which is founded by a survivor herself um, in the metro Detroit area. And all funds raised, they're a nonprofit that pay bills for women in treatment. So all the money that they um, raise through the Pink Fund goes to keeping women from losing their houses, putting gas in their tanks so they can get to treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that they do to raise money is called Dancing with the Survivors. And I did that the year before last. Um, And I think they raised like a million dollars in that one year.
1: Wow. um, Just
2: to go to women in Metro Detroit. So it stays local. It's a great organization. And then my kids, and I can't advocate for this enough. If anybody's listening that has children and you, yourself, it doesn't even have to be breast cancer. If you are a parent, a mom, or a dad that is going through cancer, through treatment, if your kids have been impacted, um, there's an organization called Camp Kesem. It's K-E-S-E-M, and it's operated um, nationwide. Um, Different universities have different chapters, and um, a friend of mine that I was connected with through a mutual friend um, told me about it, and my kids have been going. I think this is going to be Katie's seventh year um, because she went while I was still in active treatment. Mm -hmm. Um, She's actually going to be a counselor in training, but it's a camp where kids get to get away it's a break for parents as well, um, but the kids get to go and escape for a week, and they are completely able to just be who they are and not be identified with being um, kids that have been impacted by cancer. Mm-hmm. So it's a wonderful organization. So um, I advocate for that as well. Um, but there are so many things. You just have to find them. Mm-hmm. And some people aren't being transparent. or They're not comfortable with being transparent with their story, that's okay. You don't have to divulge everything. Nobody's gonna make you open any any wounds or things that you don't want to, but those organizations are there to help.
1: It's phenomenal. And and to not only have programs for those that are going through treatment or have just been told they have cancer, but it's it's for family and, and, and for friends I'm sure as well to, to make sure that they have that support and that know that you're not alone in this. There are so many other people. Um, So now you've touched on so many different aspects, but before we wrap up this show, Sarah, is there any sort of message that overall you would like to provide to women both with and without cancer?
2: For anything, be your own advocate and trust your gut. If you feel that something isn't right, don't be lulled by any explanation that you don't trust. If you think that there is something amiss, go with it. Um, And don't be afraid, you know, if you do have to walk down that path, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to, you know, you don't have to be strong through the entire thing. It's okay to, to cry when you need to cry. It's okay to be held when you need to be held. But it's also okay to, to walk your own path as well mm-hmm. and to persevere and just advocate, advocate, advocate for yourself.
1: I love that. And I hope that those that are listening can, can really take something away from this segment today because this is powerful. Your story is incredible and just bless your heart for, for everything and and for the babies. But uh, thank, thank you, you so much, Sarah, for coming on today. And um, thank you for everybody tuning in. This is Taylor with Women's Wednesday signing off on America's Web Radio.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for
3: listening.